0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special post-game edition of the Talking About Podcast. I'm Sean Kennedy. I'm here to discuss the Sixers' 119-100 win over San Antonio, their sixth straight victory. And joining me to talk that and more is Dan Valpone of the Gastroenteritis Man. It's a mouthful. I, I messed it <laughs> up. The Gastroenteritis Blues Podcast. It's a little bit of a crossover episode. Dan, how you doing? I'm great always feeling good after a win so yeah absolutely very very good win for the Sixers tonight they they jumped out to a 20 point lead in the first quarter scored 39 points in the opening frame uh they they you know the Spurs made a couple runs throughout the game but it was never cut to more than like a 10 point lead so relatively stress-free win for the Sixers which we can always enjoy those can't we Oh, yeah. I mean, the first quarter was refreshing, like, re- like just to jump out
1: like that. I feel like we haven't done that in a while. So it was really nice.
0: Yeah, they, they, they've even while, while they've been winning lately, it's been a lot of slow starts. And then they, they eventually turn it on in the middle of the game and uh, or, or sometimes like in Orlando, they, they just let Orlando hang around and then the last three minutes they put them away. But yeah, not, not a whole lot of they've been up 20 and then just kind of coast for the most part, which with a double digit lead all game. But yeah, good to see. And as usual, Joel Embiid was the one of the leaders and he's been tremendous. He was the defense. He was the December player of the month in the Eastern Conference and another 31 points, 12 rebounds, seven assist effort for Joel just continues to be an MVP caliber player each and every night for the Sixers right now. Uh, What jumped out to you uh, regarding Joel's performance, Dan?
1: Kind of a like it, it sounds weird to just say, like it almost sounds overly simple, but like he just seemed like he wanted to dunk the ball every time down the floor tonight. Like yeah. he had quite a few dunks uh, in a lot of situations. I think he would uh, in most games kind of lay the ball up, uh, which is fine. He's, he's good at that. Um, but he had a lot of big dunks. Um, passing kind of sustained from that raucous game. Didn't really feel like that was a fluke. Like he's, they've been running the offense more through him. I think, the last few games, which I actually like a lot. Like I think they've the last maybe few weeks kind of been just saying, Joel, you you bring the ball up on the break and, and running the break through Joel and the way they kind of used to through Simmons. Uh, But even in the half court offense, I feel like even more than usual, everything's going through Joel. He's been getting the assists. And, and like I said, just when attacking the rim, you know, with, with eyes on, on getting a dunk, not picking up a foul and getting a layup. Like, I feel like I haven't, I haven't seen this Joel in a while that I can remember, like
0: just really trying to, to dunk everything. It was, it was fun. (laughs) It really was. Uh, Those are definitely the two areas I noticed as well. Just he goes coast to coast, at least once a game now where he he does the grab and go, and then he gets around the three point line and it's, it's a little bit Giannis like where he, he just has those long strides and, it's like two steps and he's at the rim and he's just throwing it down. Um, he had the one where for some reason, the Spurs were trying to switch on the fly and no one picked up Joel. And he just went unimpeded down the lane for, for a dunk. But then the one that really impressed me was when Murray picked him up at the top of the key and Joel went one dribble to his right, did a little Euro step around him and kind of had, had Murray and I think it was Pirtle at, at the rim and just kind of dunked it in between them. And it's it's tremendous to watch a guy who's this fluid at his size. Um, I don't think we've ever seen a guy, his height and his weight that has this, this kind of agility and uh, fluidity out there with the ball in his hands. It's really incredible to watch. I like that you said
1: Giannis like, because like the one thing we know about Joel is like, he's really good at, at watching film of guys and like picking things up. And he's you know nowhere near as good as Giannis is you know in transition, no. and, but he's gotten like markedly better, and it does look Giannis-like. So I wouldn't be that surprised if he you know was watching a lot of Giannis and thinking how can I add this to my game.
0: Yeah, he he is a savant where he'll he'll just pick up other areas of people's games and kind of incorporate them into his for sure. Um, yeah, he's not he's not the kind of agile player that Giannis is, and Giannis isn't as. Hulky and everything's but he does he he has picked up the, like the long strides can take him pretty far on the court and like what can I do with that and it's it's really cool to watch and then you, you also mentioned the passing he had a couple really nice finds to Matisse under the basket who Matisse had a really nice game in his return from from protocols Um, and and I like Matisse down in that dunker spot area because one thing Matisse does do well is kind of duck in he has good instincts with that and you know, not the greatest shooter. So that's a good way to incorporate him in the half court offense in that in the old Ben Simmons dunker spot. And then uh, Joel also had the it was kind of like a behind behind the back, but kind of over the shoulder pass. Yeah, uh, you, you're you're mimicking it for for people that are listening on audio here. But, yeah, it was great. Yeah. Uh, And he had also just a really nice touch pass, like a one-two touch pass to Tobias very early in the game. It was the first minute or two where he got it and just knew where Tobias was to be right away. And just beautiful touch. Like It's incredible how far he's come, even in the last month or so, with his reads on the court. And it's like we're running out of superlatives for for Joel Embiid at this point, I I think. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he's...
1: It's funny because, you know, he's been at an age where it's like he's about hitting his his prime for a few years now. He's he's probably a few years into his prime, uh, kind of where you expect guys to, you know, just get smarter, but maybe not necessarily add new things. And he's just he keeps adding things like it's like, oh, Ben's gone. Like, let me pick up some of the things Ben was really good at. Like, that's kind of what it feels like he's done. He's just like, oh, I should do this now. And he just does it like it's nothing.
0: Yeah, let me let me become the point center and lead the yeah. team in transition and go coast to coast myself and uh do opposite corner passes from the post and everything else that he's really incorporated into his game. But yeah, so another great game for Joel. Uh He's well on his way to a January player of the month award if he keeps this up, Um, but not not a one man show for the Sixers tonight. They had a, a handful of great contributions. Another one was Seth Curry, who. Uh, scored 23 points, 10 of 18 from the field, and another seven assists for Seth. Who, because of the because Tyrese is out in protocol and Shake not playing as well, um, they're very limited as turn in terms of point guards. So it's it's Seth, and then it's Quirk Moss leading the second unit, who are kind of like the de facto points on the court. Um, but Seth coming off his 12 12 assist effort against uh, Orlando the other night, another seven just his two man game with Joel is it's just a bread and butter play for them at this point. They, they seem to have figured out each other's little niches and and have a really good feel for what they're going to do on the court. Um, And it just, it seems automatic whenever they they run that two man game and Seth can step in for that little jumper. Um, I I don't know. I I know, I know people find faults with Seth because he does have his limitations defensively. And, but I, if he's able to create offense like he is also, in addition to being the one of the best shooters in the league that he is, like, I, I don't know. I, I feel like this is the peak part of his career right now. And the Sixers couldn't ask for anything more from him.
1: Oh, I totally agree. And I also think like, like obviously Seth was great offensively in the playoffs. And I think it's really easy to like it, it, his weaknesses were, I think, especially exposed against the Hawks defensively. Whereas like the Hawks have a lot of guys who are like six seven six eight yeah. who play you know like Kevin Herders their two guard right like Kevin Herders yeah. shoot over Seth not every team has a good shooter who's going to be four or five inches taller than Seth yeah. is uh, yeah. so I, big, I, I think big, that, a
0: lot of big wings that can also be secondary creators That's right
1: like, I I don't think that Seth is like you know a huge he's not like a good defender but I don't think he's a disaster in every series against every team. Like I think the Hawks were just a tough matchup for yeah. Seth defensively.
0: Yeah, most teams have one or two guys where you can hide Seth because he's not it's not that he's lacking in off-ball like knowledge. Like he knows where to be, he knows how to connect with his fellow teammate on the defensive end and like hey, we should switch here, like let's fight over the screen here. Like he he's a smart guy and a smart player. Like he knows what he's doing. He just has limitations because of his size and his lack of quickness relative to other guys his size. Um but yeah usually there's one or two. The Hawks has just so many interchangeable parts that like, oh, you're gonna put Seth on him? Well he's another six eight wing that can hit 15 footers over him. So that that's that's fine. We're we're gonna we're gonna work with that. Um but yeah usually it's fine and then as long as you don't have any other subpar defenders on the court you you can get away with it so uh, yeah i agree i'm not as worried about it as other people are and if he's as lights out shooting as he generally is and also being this terrific uh on ball creator with these expanded opportunities lately like yeah just plug him in like he's he's having a career year like any anyone that wants to gripe about seth like what are you doing here like you're, you're just picking nits and there's you really don't need to be um One guy who we have had some reason to be down on this year is Tobias Harris, but he had another good game following up his good effort in Orlando. He had another, he had 23 points tonight against the Spurs, nine of 12 from the field, five of six from the line. So getting the line a handful of times, that's something people always look for with Tobias, something he can improve on Um, seven rebounds, five assists, no turnovers, just, it, it seemed like the Spurs didn't have the size to, to kind of go up against Tobias, he he often found himself against one of their smaller wings, like because of their they were missing a lot of guys with COVID protocols and everything else, so they they were really shorthanded. So it, it it seemed like Tobias just found himself with smaller guys for his hey, I have the ball ten feet away, let me back him down a little bit and shoot over him. That seemed to work a lot more than it it was in some some of the past games where he was struggling. Uh, what did you see from Toby tonight?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely part of it. But I also want to be sure, like, I want to give him proper credit because I, you know, I've been very hard on Tobias. I think basically everyone's been very hard on Tobias and I didn't particularly enjoy how he handled the Houston game. I thought he had, you know, some very like thoughtful things to say afterwards. And, um, you know, he came out today and it was his, basically his first home game since then. Um, And I think, you know, my biggest criticism of Tobias as a player in general has been like, He a lot of times feels like when you're watching, it's like he's not playing team basketball within the flow of the game. Like he's like either being too, too passive or too slow to make a read or he's forcing this or like just kind of not making the plays that you would hope he would make a lot of times. And I I felt like today he was really within the flow of the game. I mean, he had, you know, five assists and he only took 12 shots. Which usually I'd be like, Tobias didn't take a three. Like, what are you doing? Like, but it didn't feel like there were a lot of like, Tobias pump fakes a three and dribbles into a contested two. It was like, it felt very, you know, like you said, I mean, I think it helped that he was able to, you know, get deep on some of these smaller guys and take some of these closer shots. Um, but it, it just felt like he was playing more within the team today. And I hope that maybe you know, and he, he's talked about it, to be fair, he's talked about he's not playing how he wants to play. And a lot of it is just that his shots not going down. Um, but I think, you know, it was it's more than just the shooting between this year and, la- and, and last year, I really think it is. Um, and today felt like, besides the fact that he shot, you know, nine for 12, which he was very efficient, it felt like more of last year's Tobias, where it's like, he's just fine, like, even though he's still going to be like a slow decision maker, and he's going to pump fake some threes, like, he was still felt like he was just playing more within the flow of the game and, and not forcing certain things that he has been. I think he's been pressing a bit. And I hope that, you know, with kind of the weird things that happened in the Houston game and, you know, his comments after, like maybe that's kind of a reset for him. You know, maybe that's like, a, all right, this was, you know, this was not good. Um, this was, you know, me kind of showing to everyone that I'm a bit in my head right now and letting things bother me that I shouldn't and that I usually wouldn't. And this is as good a time as any to take a step back and kind of like reevaluate things. Um, and so I hope we see, and part of it, and to be fair, he's also coming back from COVID and that could be part of it. And as he gets further from that, that should help too. But I, I just hope that, you know, it has seen, and kind of he's admitted it a bit where it's like, you know, he's, he is frustrated, you know, he's frustrated with his play. And I hope that maybe this can be a step back for him and we're going to see Tobias, you know, maybe he won't be as good as last year. He was he was tremendous last year. That could have been his peak, but he could still be a good player um, if he could just kind of get back to how he was playing, even if the shot isn't as high of a, of a percentage. Um, and like this year, I, I, I've been thinking like, you know, Tobias is either having a bad game or he's having like, you know, a decent to good game. And this was a very good game. This was like the best Tobias game we've seen in a while. So, um, you know, after the, the solid Orlando game too, I am feeling... You know, like hopefully, hopefully we're turning a bit of a corner here and we're getting back to you know the Tobias we saw a bit last year.
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't mean to fault him for saying that. Oh, he was he was going against smaller guys and and that's why it worked out well. Like if you recognize you have those matchups, you sh- that's what you should attack. Like that's just being a, sm- a smart player on the court and having a good basketball IQ and saying this is a favorable thing for me to do. Why wouldn't I do it? And he shot nine of twelve from the field, so it worked. That's all great. Um, yeah, so hopefully. That just continues to build for him. He has a couple of good performances, and uh, as you said, I, I I think he had a very mature response after the Orlando game when he, he said, "Nobody died; they just booed me." That that can go on the the bulletin board for all time great Sixers quotes. Uh, and yeah, when when you see somebody like Julius Randall and his response to uh his thumbs down worse <laughs> that like the flip side of that was Tobias giving a very very measured mature and uh sensible response in the aftermath of it um to, to be fair to Randall I guess you did have an instagram post today which was very much like PR damage control uh, but yeah Tobias Tobias handled that much better um, but- The funny thing with Randall is he's
1: not the first New York athlete to give a thumbs down to the crowd this year. And he must've seen how it went for the Mets players who did it like very not good. Like the owner made them apologize. Like, why would you try it after that?
0: Javi Baez should not be your role model when it comes to player (laughs) fan interactions. Uh, Yeah. Just the fact, I mean, I love that Boston lost, but the fact that the Knicks came back and won also kind of overshadowed like how, how train wreckish it was looking for the Knicks while they were down 25 and Randall was getting booed and everything else. Um, so I am happy Boston lost, but part of me was like, oh, I really want the Knicks to implode there. That would have been great too. But uh, as far as Sixers tonight, um, Charlie Brown got his first uh, first bucket as a, as a Sixer. A uh, local guy, obviously, from St. Joe's. Um, Aaron Henry got his first NBA points. Um, I don't know, from the rest of the supporting cast, anything... Anything notable to you, Dan? Uh,
1: Charlie Brown in the in the minutes he got, which was, I mean, more than I expected. He got twelve minutes um, played in the
0: first quarter. Like, yeah,
1: active <laughs> defense, active hands. Um, I knew he went to St. Joe's, but I didn't know a ton about him. Besides that, I didn't watch much of those St. Joe's teams. Uh, always, you know, obviously, you were, you were like, watching the Charlie Brown Taylor Funk duo. <laughs> I was not, but like, I was excited to see, you know, he's been kind of picking up on some teams with all of the, you know, the rosters with, you know, the coat with COVID and having guys out and everything. And, you know, I knew he was a St. Joe's guy. So I've been excited to see him get a shot and I was excited to see him get a shot on the Sixers. And he, I was pleasantly surprised. Like he was, I thought he was like, he was really active and he was, he was fun. Um, I, I don't know. No one, there wasn't, I feel like we didn't get a ton from anyone else. Although I do want to say, um, uh, Furkan as the uh, kind of like second ball handler has been really good. And um, besides his shot, just, you know, if you ignore the shot, which was bad for a while. Um, yeah. Cold really night from tonight as well. Yeah. Yeah. But even besides that, I think, you know, part of the the things we hope to see from Furkan with how he played in the, in the preseason was like Furkan came into the preseason as, and, and showed you a lot as like a, another guy who can handle the ball. And I think a lot of that, like, probably fairly got overshadowed with how poorly he was shooting the ball for a while. But he really is a guy who, when he's hot shooting, which will happen sometimes, gives you a lot on offense. Like, especially with the Sixers thin
0: at guard, can can really help out there. Yeah. he's His his secondary parts of his game have really gotten a lot better. And mm-hmm. the fact that we're even talking about him as like, oh, he can fill in as you're backup point if you need him to like a few years ago that would have been crazy to even speculate on um yeah he 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 can't obviously shoot one of six from three like he needs to be a little bit better on a given night but that'll come and go and hopefully on on the whole it'll average out to he is a good shooter and he'll eventually hit more of them um but yeah his his secondary playmaking has gotten a lot better and he's and I, I would say he's an above average defender at this point in his career too. I think he's, he's improved a lot in that area. So yeah, just Agreed. good rotation, good rotation guy that, um, on a great contract. So for him to be your eighth or ninth man or whatever, as, as long as he is not ice cold from three, like really good asset to have. Um, I, I agree with Brown as well. I thought he was, uh, really quick. He, he's, he's got a good wingspan. I thought he was really active defensively. He got his, got his hands in passing lanes and everything. Um, he he looked a little nervous, I thought, just like he was looking around a lot. Like, am I am I sure I'm in the right place? I'm sure he had some nerves as a as a local guy getting his debut with the the hometown team. But uh yeah, I thought he handled it well. That was cool that his first bucket came in the first quarter on that N1. Uh, so play stopped and everybody like was cheering on. I'm sure that'll that'll be something he always looks back on. But yeah, I, I I'm definitely cool if uh he he gets some minutes on on the rest of this 10 day and we kind of see see further what we have in him. Um i thought i thought it was yeah great great debut for him so all right at this time we're gonna take a quick break and hear from our sponsor and then when we come back we're going to talk about uh, some stuff beyond tonight's game in sixers land another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help ancillary things that popped up this week but before we do that i i have to talk with someone about the twin towers lineup that doc rivers finally unleashed against the magic the other night um i don't know if it'll ever come back and this this is the my weekly podcast so i have to talk about it now even though it it was not not the most recent game four minutes of the third quarter against the magic it should be noted the sixers were missing guys. And then Isaiah Joe suffered an in-game injury. So the, the rotation was diminished and Doc felt this was the time to unleash Andre Drummond, Joel Embiid. And it went very well. Uh, it it, it kind of sparked the turnaround for the team. Um, they, they were trailing in that third quarter at one point and it, it kind of turned the game around. And then the bench at the beginning of the fourth went on another run and, and really kind of, took control of the game for the team. Uh, I don't know. I thought I thought it was fun. I'm, I'm They shouldn't whip it out in a playoff series or anything, but I wouldn't mind seeing it again this regular season. What do you think, Dan? Yeah, I loved it. I thought it was awesome. Um, I mean, especially, you
1: know, offensively, you have, you know, Joel kind of being the pseudo point guard at times. Um, and you just kind of let him keep initiating and you can put Drummond, you know, further down low, let kind of Embiid work, the the post and the and the foul line extended uh and then you know defensively i think orlando has some guys that you can hide one of them on and 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 Bid doesn't necessarily have to be under the basket all of the time uh and really i think what what kills the sixers a lot of times especially you know if the sixers are going to lose to a worse team is like they get badly out rebounded and with the two of them in there that's really not a problem especially when you still have you know, Yang and Tobiasen, and you're playing this just massive lineup. It felt like kind of the, like the um, the 2018 Sixers, the Raptor Series Sixers. Uh, with when you are running like you know Embiid, Simmons, and and Butler. Butler's the smallest player on the floor, and uh, just like some of those massive lineups they would run. Um, I agree, is probably not almost against basically any lineup the other team could put out there from a playoff team it's not something you really want to do in a playoff series but yeah i thought it was a ton of fun and if they try it for two minutes in the playoffs i won't be mad i thought it was i mean the, the lineup was you know it's the magic whatever it was it was weird but like it was very successful for the four minutes he tried it so yeah. i loved it
0: yeah you mentioned that old uh sixers lineup where butler was the smallest guy It wasn't just Drummond and Embiid. It was Moss at the point, Tobias at the two, Niang at the three, and then Drummond and Embiid. So Niang's a guy they've tried at small ball center. Tobias should be a four probably. So you had the four playing a two, and then three guys who have been your center at various points this year. And then Moss, who's the six, seven wing, who's filling in at point guard at times. Like, yeah, just jumbo package. um, A... like Orlando plays Carter Jr. and Bamba together, so that's definitely a lineup where you can unleash two centers. Um, a couple other teams I thought of in the East, like Cleveland, obviously has revolutionized big ball. Like if if they're having Mobley and uh, Jared Allen together with marking at the three, like why can't you play that kind of lineup against them? And then another team that came to mind was the Knicks. Who uh, if you have Randall and uh, Mitchell Robinson or Whoever else, like Noel at center, like that's another a lineup that I wouldn't mind seeing Embiid and Drummond together. So, uh, it's yeah, it's not doesn't seem analytically great like and the most efficient way to go about playing basketball in the year 2022. But I think there there are times this year where it might be prudent to like give it another look. Um, and and Embiid's skilled enough on both ends to to play along the perimeter. And Drummond for a guy his size, he he does a really good job of, like getting low and getting his hands in passing lanes. Um, where I feel like he even though he's he's slow because he's he's a big man and he doesn't have the, the quickness of even an embiad, um like he he does a, a decent enough job to like hang back, get his hands in passing lanes. He can he can contest well because of his length. Um yeah, I I want to see it again. So <laughs> it, it it seems crazy, but I I enjoyed it. Um so now, now, it comes to the time where we, we unfortunately have to talk about whatever is going on in the ben, the world of Ben Simmons. Um, there were a couple interesting reports which are Simmons adjacent this week. One was from Mark Stein, who now, formerly of the New York Times, now doing his own Substack. In it, uh, I'm going to quote it exactly here. He said. The 76ers will be discussing various Simmons trade scenarios for the next month, but actually trading him before the NBA's annual trade buzzer is not their preferred scenario as it stands convincing Simmons to rejoin the team and play as much of the remaining schedule as possible. According to once we're familiar with Philadelphia's thinking is the club's goal. Number one, when it comes to the wayward playmaker, Dan, having heard slash read that earlier today, what was your first reaction?
1: I mean, like, my no offense to Mark Stein, but my first reaction is like, "There's no way, right?" Like everything we hear from Woj and Shams is like, Ben is not playing for the Sixers. Like that's not going to happen. Um, I'm sure in in Daryl's ideal world, like Ben comes to play, and and maybe he still wants to be traded, but the Sixers can you know have more of a of a stomach to take him into the off because he's still around, and it's not like you're just kind of punting on this season. But um, I have a hard time believing that that is where they're putting a bunch of their eggs right now. Like, I, I think they have to be looking into trades, especially because, you know, in that piece, it's still said that the Sixers kind of view that as, as not likely, which then you're talking like when you, and, and I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll get into some of these other rumors later, but when you see some of the guys who you might be able to get, are they really, you know, less valuable in a trade for maybe a, a higher tier star next in this next upcoming offseason than a Ben Simmons who hasn't played in a calendar year, right? Like, is that, are you really, are teams really going to prefer Ben Simmons having not played in forever and having his last, you know, basketball played still being that awful series? Like, I I don't know. I think that, I think that there's a, a, a real case to be made for kind of get what you can get at the deadline. And I'm, I'm I don't really buy that they're putting so much, you know, so much of their hope into like, well, maybe Ben will just change his mind because Ben has, has been pretty consistent in that he's, he doesn't want to be here. And he's, I mean, to his, you know, to be fair to him, he hasn't, he hasn't been dishonest about that. He's been very straightforward.
0: He does not want to be here. So, yeah. yeah. So I, I agree with everything you said. I, I think the two different, Sections of that uh, p- portion of Stein's, Stein's reporting that I just read are, are completely different. So, convincing Simmons to rejoin the team being goal number one, I think is completely preposterous. You're living in a dream world if you think there's any chance that Ben Simmons is going to suit up for the Philadelphia 76ers again. So, if that isn't in any way they're thinking, like they just have to stop that. But on the, fr- the first portion where they said not trading him before the deadline as it stands being their preferred scenario, I actually do kind of believe that because I think that Daryl has set such a high bar for what he's willing to accept in a return that based on all, and I think he has been making the calls and everything. So I think as things stands from what is available in his mind, his preferred scenario is to hold on to Ben Simmons and wait till the summer. So before we we're we're going to talk about uh, the situation with the Sacramento Kings and we'll kind of dive into like what would happen if Ben does get traded before February and a little bit more about the like the step up deals and everything you just mentioned but give keeping that reporting from Stein in mind if that is their preferred scenario because they don't like what's on the table right now what is your thought process and and how do you how would you feel on February 12th or whatever and if Ben Simmons is still if you, you pull up the spot track page and his salary gap is still under the Philadelphia 76 years section.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's impossible to like say for, sh- obviously I don't know what Daryl has offered. Um, I I just think that my bar is probably a lot lower than Daryl's is right now. Um, a lot of the players who have been, you know, reported to be, you know, possibilities I I'm, would be very okay with. Um, I've been big on for a while now. It's like, the ben Simmons does not the Ben Simmons trade does not have to be the last trade you make. You know, like if you can get assets that you think are fair, um, understanding that, you know, Ben not playing is Ben's value going down at this point, right? Like the longer a guy sits out, it's probably true that the the less a team is gonna be, you know, super excited to go after him. Um, I, I don't know, like I, I would be extremely bummed, you know, partly because I think that you know, Joel was off shooting to start the year. His shot is back. He looks, I mean, especially like since COVID, since he's come back from COVID and the few games before COVID has looked as good as he did last year, which is, you know, like just a guy that can be, you know, the one, a star on a championship team. Um, And I would be really disappointed if they didn't get another guy um, to just give him a chance. I, I, and I understand you know there's also you know a lot of people saying well you know it's you're not just trying to not waste this year you're trying to not waste Joel's prime i get all of that i just think that you know this this year is included in Joel's prime i i would be so hesitant to you know not try to win this season especially because i think there are guys out there who might not be superstars right now but can really help and guys who's Um, and you know, we're going to get into the Kings later, so I won't say too much, but like, let's say Halliburton, for example, right? Like a guy who, you know, if he's given the opportunity to play on a Sixers team that is going to the playoffs and, you know, he's a very good shooter, the opportunity to play, you know, with Joel Embiid, a guy who takes a lot of the offensive attention, um, might look even better. And a guy who's really, really young and is getting better. And like his value might be what Ben's is. But what Ben's was at this point in the off season, if you get him and he plays well. So I don't, I don't, I struggle to view it as like a, it's a this year or the future, right? Like I I feel like there is a middle ground where you can kind of get both understanding that, that Ben might not be the trade ship he once was. Um, and especially next summer might not be the trade ship he once was. So if they take him into the off season, I, I would be pretty disappointed just because I, I feel like there, there is a way to handle this where it's it's not necessary to do so.
0: I agree. So, yeah, let's talk about the – you mentioned Halliburton, so let's talk about the Kings uh, report now. So, a couple days ago, earlier this week, basically Sacramento is now putting everyone on the table, is the reporting. It, it seemed like at the beginning of the season, in the offseason, Fox and Halliburton were off the table. Fox then – at some point this season was placed on the table. It seems like Halliburton is even on the table now. Um you, you mentioned you're you'd be totally okay with a Halliburton trade. It seems like personally I would be as well. You get a guy who's over 40% shooter. He's shown he he has an above average ceiling on both ends. He when Fox was out for portions of the season this year, he was a, a lead playmaker, was averaging over over to double double digit assists for the handful of games Fox was out. Recently, and like there's no area of his game that would be labeled subpar. He's at least above average in every area. He's still incredibly young at 21 years of age. Good size for his position, six five. Like the ceiling's incredibly high for this guy. And and to your point, why would uh, Ben Simmons, who's I don't know five years older or something uh, than Halliburton, hasn't played? basketball in a year, if you're talking about you're, you're looking to shop in the summer. And then his most recent uh, time on the court was this huge flame out where he's now reportedly dealing with mental health issues surrounding playing the, the, the game that you're going to be paying him a lot of money to be playing. Uh, like, why is that a preferable package to a young guy who it has shown a lot of promise on both ends? You have on a rookie deal for two more years after the season. Like I feel like, even if you acknowledge Ben Simmons is a better player in the moment, there's no reason to think that Halliburton wouldn't be a better player down the road, and everything else about the situation would favor a guy like Halliburton over a guy like Simmons. So, yeah, get get Halliburton with like, if, if you got to make the salaries work with a, like a Buddy healed or Harrison Barnes. Like, I would do that in a heartbeat.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I really like Barnes, too. And, and to your point, I mean, with Halliburton's passing, he's averaging, you know, keeping in mind that for most of the year, he has not been their, their lead playmaker. He's averaging 6.8 assists. Ben, who we all agree is is, is a, like a good to very good passer, averaged 6.9 assists last year. So they're, they're averaging the same number of, of assists and Halliburton's playing with, you know, worse shooters around him. And he's, he's initiating, I know an assist is not like the gold standard for, you know, creation, but he's initiating quite a bit of offense on a bad team with even, you know, being off the ball quite a bit. Uh, I just, I think that he helps a lot. He can, I mean, like you mentioned, he can really shoot. He shot over 40% from three, both of his seasons in the league, even though it doesn't take a ton,
0: but I mean, Seth doesn't take a ton. We agree that he's really helpful. You know Um, who, you know, who also doesn't take a ton of threes, Ben Simmons. <laughs> ben Simmons takes no three <laughs> and makes no
1: three. So yeah, I mean, he's just—I—I I would love him. And and you know, you you kind of mentioned and and it's what I've been saying where it's like Halliburton helps this year. And like you said, he's probably not as good as Ben right now, and he might not be as good as Ben next season. But Halliburton wants to play for your team right now if you get him. And when you go to this summer and you're trying to make a trade, you either have you know, it doesn't matter if Halliburton's not as good as Ben yet this summer, because teams aren't teams that are trading a Beal, that are trading a Lillard, yeah. or if those guys come available, it's not, you know, who's the best player can I get right now? It's who can we build around going forward? And I think there's a real argument for Halliburton who's still on his rookie deal, who is not showing such glaring weaknesses in his game, who is like you said, five years younger or four, four or five years younger than Ben, right? Like I think a lot of teams would prefer that guy. Um He's a really good player. And so I don't I don't view it as you either win this year or you can win in the future, because I think getting Halliburton still very much keeps your, you know, packages open for a a real superstar. If
0: that happens, if that happens to come available sometime soon. Yeah, I I agree with all that. Um, you, You know why Halliburton's assist numbers are comparable to Ben's last year? Because he doesn't spend the entire fourth quarter in the bunker spot. Without the ball, <laughs> so, so that 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 uh, that that helps boost your assist number. Wait till Doc
1: gets his hands on him.
0: <laughs> uh, well, he might send Maxi back down there again. We don't know. Yes. Um. But yeah, I, I agree. Haliburton doesn't doesn't have any glaring weaknesses in his game. His game is very scalable. Like if you want him to play off ball and hit spot up jumpers off an MB post up, you can do that. If you need him to be the the secondary uh, playmaker in like a seth role he can do that or if you need him to take the cork moss role and be like your backup point he can do that like there's a lot of different areas where he would help your team immensely and again getting back to like a playoff series yeah he's young so he'd have growing pains in that sense but you throw him on the court there's there's no area where i'd feel like oh well, we can't have halliburton in in this situation because he doesn't have it's not like there's No one would be attacking him on the defensive end. He's helping your spacing on offense. And if you need him in a pinch to create offense himself, he can do that. So, yeah, I I agree with all that. Um, If I'm a team in the league, I would prefer Halliburton to Simmons, just like kind of in a vacuum, just because of all the surrounding drama around Ben. And, you know, who knows what's going on in his head right now about playing the game of basketball. Like, yeah, it's kind of a no brainer for me. So the fact that um, the Sixers You know, we don't know for sure, but the reports are that they're they're asking the sun and the moon in a in a king's return package. Like I, I feel like he needs Daryl just needs to come down like to earth a little bit, be a little more realistic, and let's move on with our lives and give Joel Embiid that help that you mentioned. Like he's having an MVP caliber season. Like let's not just throw it away. Like give him as much help as you can give him within reason. So, all right. It seems like we're both, we're both on board with the, with the Halliburton trade. So I, I feel good about that. Um, and of course, the Sixers are playing well right now. They've won six straight. The, they're shooting up in the Eastern Conference. And uh, yeah, they're getting healthier. Everything's kind of looking up right now uh, for Philadelphia, which we haven't been able to say at every point of the season. So we should take time to acknowledge it when we can next up is Houston on Monday that that game is in Houston. So another good chance for a victory to make it seven straight, but until then, um, yeah, great talking with you, Dan. I appreciate you coming on for the crossover episode aside from the, I mean, you you can plug when the guest blues is going to drop next. Um, and any info about, you know, about anything upcoming on that and where, where else can everybody find you? Yeah. Uh, next pod is coming out Sunday night, probably, uh,
1: no, eh, might be Sunday afternoon. Depends when we're all free, but you know, definitely by, by Monday at some point. And, uh, you know, I'm not really on Twitter anymore, but I am like fully on Twitter kind of, because I just don't, I just tweet from our podcast account now. So at gastro blues pod, you can find my random thoughts about the Sixers and when they make me mad
0: and when they make me happy. That's all it is. <laughs> Well, it's definitely uh, more happy than mad lately. Sure. So we're, we're we're all very thankful for that. So Dan, thank you once again for joining. Um, for everybody else, I'm Sean Kennedy, you can find me at Philly Fast Break, and I will catch you listeners next week for another episode of the Talking About Podcast. Enjoy your weekend.
1: Thanks, Sean. See ya.